Um, and also, as we uh, prepare for our scripture lesson, I do just want to take a quick moment to say that uh, really, I really want to encourage everyone to, to stop by the Robbins room after worship to greet uh, Emily and her family. Um, often when, when pastors start, we like to have a few months of buildup to get excited. Uh, however, I, I couldn't wait a few months for that. And so Emily uh, was willing to start right away graciously for us uh, and forego that buildup. So please do take a chance uh, after worship to stop by uh, to meet Emily and to say hello to her family and to welcome them to our church. As we prepare for our first scripture lesson today, we'll be reading two scripture lessons. Our first passage comes to us from the book of uh, 1 Kings. We'll be reading from 1 Kings 19, uh, verses 15 and 16, and then 19 to 21. But before we go to God's word, let's first go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time. Wherever we may happen to be, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity to come together and to turn to Scripture and to hear your good news proclaimed. We ask as we read the words of Scripture this day that the Holy Spirit who inspired their writing would inspire our hearing, that we might come to know you in a deeper way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 15. Listen to the word of God. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall appoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall appoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. So he set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were twelve yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, using the equipment from the oxen. He boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you to Derek for reading that Old Testament reading today. I know your bulletin looks a little different today, right? A little different that we have two scripture passages to look at. And that one of the reasons is because we are trying to follow the lectionary this summer. Uh, the lectionary is a, a three-year cycle of scripture passages, and every Sunday uh, we are uh, blessed with four, four scripture passages in the lectionary, an Old Testament passage, a New Testament uh, uh, reading from the Psalms, and then usually something from the letters of Paul. So I picked two of them uh, to enlighten us today. So as Derek just read from 1 Kings, now I am going to read from Luke chapter 9. I will be starting in verse 51 and reading through verse 62. So let's settle our hearts now as we hear again from the word of the Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, 
he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So word of the Lord. Won't you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we once again thank you for these particular passages from Scripture, and we ask that you would anoint us with the power of your Holy Spirit to allow us to take these thoughts and directives into our hearts and into our very lives, all in an effort to love you and follow you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have been here at Swickley Church for um, six weeks. Uh, I know time flies when you're having fun, right? It doesn't seem that long, but it's been six weeks for me here, and I've gotten to uh, talk to a lot of you. I've gotten to know some of you uh, also. Uh, So I thought this morning, um, in an effort to sort of get to know me, that I would share just a little bit of my call story with you, okay? A call story is um, that moment, that time in a man or woman's life when he or she realizes that God, God is calling him or her into the ministry, that God wants us to leave whatever we were doing behind and, and go forward and follow God's call into the ministry, right? We all have this, right? Derek and Aaron would have this in their lives. They could share theirs with you as well. But this is a little bit of mine. Uh, for me, it came at a time uh, when I had stepped aside from being a lawyer. I used to be a lawyer, right? Um, you can all forgive me for that, but you know, I'll, make, I'll make lawyer jokes as time goes along. But I'd stepped back from that work, and Ed and I uh, have four children, right? And, I, and they were all very small at this point in time. The twins were just born. And I was at home. Uh, my oldest was five years old, so I had four children right? Five and under, right? So I was a busy person. But with my spare time, (laughs) I just, I really got back into my home church, right? Into volunteering at my home church. I taught adults. I taught children's Sunday school. I worked on committees like so many of you do. um, And I got really close to the staff of my church. 
So then, um, you know, I, I heard this call from God, and, and, and the more I leaned into it, the more I knew that this was, this was where I needed to go. And so I did what any good Presbyterian would do, feeling this call in my heart, and that is I made an appointment with my pastor, okay, to come and talk to my pastor, right? So I encourage all of you, if you feel this kind of pull on your heart, to come and talk to us. And so I made an appointment with him, and the day came, and we settled in his office, and, and oh my goodness, we had such a nice conversation that day. It was so lovely. I mean, it was 20 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was bubbling over with excitement. You know, I was just so excited that, you know, ensure myself that I'd felt this call on my heart and my life to become a minister, go to seminary, all that, and I wanted to uh, pursue it. And luckily, my pastor, just a wonderful man, um, his name was Dr. Foster, a wonderful man, um, he was so excited for me and with me, and he pledged himself that day to support me in, in the whole long process, right? It was a wonderful conversation. I was bubbling over with excitement. But at one point in the conversation, um, I, I got kind of uh, serious, I guess you, guess you would call like serious and, and, and sort of sullen even, and I looked Dr. Foster right in the eye, and I said, while all this is true, while I'm bubbling over with excitement with this call to ministry, I have to tell you two things today, Dr. Foster. I said, I have to tell you this. Despite this call that I feel in my life and my heart, I know that I will never, ever, ever be able to stand up in front of a group of people and give a sermon. Okay? I said that. Looked him right in the eye and said that. And then I said, and secondly, secondly, I know that I will never, ever, ever be able to go visit somebody in the hospital. I, I can't do that. I said, it's just not in me. I just can't do it. It just, all that stresses me out like you wouldn't believe. You know, I have my limits. I have my comfort zones. No, 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 no. Right? So, of course, he smiled his, his sort of half smile, and he said to me, Emily, if, if God wants you to preach, right, and if God wants you to visit, then that's what you're going to do, right? And so the whole story is so funny to me now when I look back at it 20 years ago, and I'm sure it's funny to you all, because that's what you hired me to do, right? Those exact things, right? Yeah. Certainly hope you can do them, Emily, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, right? And that's what I've spent the last 20 years of my life doing. But when I was called into the ministry, when I was bubbling over with excitement, I did not simply say, yes, Lord, here I am, Lord, you know, singing the song. No, I didn't. I said, yes, Lord, but, yes, Lord, but, you know, I got this over here and I got that over here and I can't and I won't and blah, 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 right? That's what I said. I was full of excuses, okay, full of excuses. Now, I hope you noticed that in our scripture passages for today, we saw some excuses coming out of people's mouths as well, okay? We saw some pretty good excuses. In our first passage from the Old Testament that Derek read a few minutes ago from 1 Kings, uh, we saw the great prophet Elijah, right? One of the greatest figures of the Old Testament, right? And he had just, he was nearing the end of his ministry, okay, nearing the end, and he had just heard this call from God, this directive from God, 
to anoint or appoint a younger man to take his place, right, as a prophet. And the younger man's name was Elisha. So I'm sorry that these two names are so, you know, they're so close, but we got to keep them separate. And so in verse 16, we heard God telling Elijah, God said, you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. And so Elijah does this. He follows God's call. He goes out to these fields where Elisha is there with his oxen. And Elijah, he takes off his cloak, right? Do you remember that part? He takes off his cloak. He takes it and he puts it around the younger man's shoulders. It's a symbolic gesture, right, of a passing down of the ministry, right? He puts it around Elisha's shoulders. Now, Elisha should have been incredibly happy about this. He should have been bubbling over. You know, I get to be God's prophet. But instead, Elisha offered up some excuses, okay? He said... Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Okay, then I will follow you. And then after that, he went and he dealt with those oxen, right? He killed them all, and he fed them, cooked them, fed them to the people and his family, probably in the village, right? He did all of that before he was ready to follow. And Elijah is clearly disappointed in this, clearly, okay? This was supposed to be a big moment. But Elijah says to Elisha, he says, go back again. Go back for what have I done to you? Okay, this is clearly a rebuke. Clearly, all all Bible scholars recognize this as a rebuke coming from Elijah's mouth to Elisha. Right? He, doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hear these excuses. Oh, but, but I, got, I got to finish what I was doing. You know, he doesn't want to hear this. So then in the New Testament passage that I read from the Gospel of Luke, we see some more excuses. We see Jesus here in chapter 9 as he is beginning, he begins his journey to the cross. Luke describes this as Jesus setting his face to Jerusalem. Luke uses this expression, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. We call this the travel narrative. It's a major theme in the gospel of Luke. And Luke has Jesus from chapter 9 on. You know, he's traveling to accept his destiny, right? He's traveling to the cross. And along the way, Jesus keeps teaching and healing and having dinner with folks. And here, He is calling folks to discipleship. And so the first stop they make is in Samaria. Samaria. Now, I'm sure that rings some bells in all of your heads because we've heard of the Samaritans before, right? There's some great stories, very positive stories in Scripture involving the Samaritans. The Samaritans are, um, I'm going to use the word kin. They're sort of kin to the Jewish people, okay? They, um, they have similar beliefs in that they believe in the one true God, they're waiting for the Messiah, all that, so there's a, a, a sort of a kinship there, but there are differences as well. They use a different version of the Old Testament, and, and they worship 
in a slightly different way. But in our New Testament, usually they're portrayed very well. We have the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. You remember that story, John 4. It's a great story where Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman. She recognizes him as the Messiah, and then she goes off to tell her friends and neighbors. It's a great story, very positive story. And then, of course, we know the parable of the good Samaritan. Famous story, famous in churches, famous even in secular culture, right? The good Samaritan. That's a story where the man is laying there at the side of the road, and it's only the Samaritan who is willing to stop and help him, right, and heal his wounds and all that. So these are, these are positive portrayals in Scripture of the Samaritans. But here in Luke chapter 9, uh, we see the Samaritans in really in a bad light, because they are rejecting the opportunity to follow Jesus. And Luke tells us why. He says, they, Samaritans, did not receive Jesus because his face was set to Jerusalem. I just told you a minute ago what Luke means by that, right? He means that Jesus is accepting his destiny, his destiny to the cross. But of course, the Samaritans don't know that. And so when they say, Jesus' disciples say, hey, we're, we're heading off for Jerusalem, the Samaritans believe they are going to worship in Jerusalem, and they don't like that. They don't want to participate in worship that is in Jerusalem. They have a deep division with the Jews over this, this I'll say, worship style and, lo- and location. The Jews worship... In Jerusalem, the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim. So when Jesus says to them, hey, and the disciples say, hey, I'm going, I'm going to Jerusalem, the Samaritans say no. They don't want to follow. They don't like that worship, right? They don't like that worship style. They don't like that worship location. So they say no. It's an interesting excuse, isn't it? Right? They don't want to go and worship with Jesus. It's an interesting excuse to be sure. As different worship styles are still a point of contention for us today. Are they not? Yeah. Still an excuse today. But the excuses don't stop there. They don't stop there. As the disciples leave Samaria and they keep going through some other towns, uh, somebody yells out to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus turns to that man and says, you know, life with me is hard. This is an itinerant lifestyle. It's hard to follow me. Jesus uses that phrase, nowhere to lay his head, right? The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's telling me it's not going to be easy if you follow me. And guess what? We never hear from that man again. We never hear from him. We don't hear another paragraph or two paragraphs away that he's following with Jesus. We never hear from him again. Then Jesus yells to another person, calls to another person, follow me. But that person responds, let me go and bury my father. And then a third person, a third person says, okay, okay, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Excuses right? Different excuses, slightly different than the ones we heard before, but excuses nevertheless. 
Three, three potential disciples are interacting with Jesus, and three of them are throwing out excuses, okay? But Jesus is calling them. He's calling them to singular allegiance to him. He's calling them to follow him now, to make him number one in their lives, and none of them do that. And when they fail to immediately follow Jesus, Jesus utters that famous line that has echoed through the centuries, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Mm, yikes, right? yikes. So let's just take like 15 seconds here and review, review the excuses that we've heard, okay? When called by God or by Jesus, Old Testament or New, into discipleship, we've heard folks claim family obligations, right? We've heard the words father and mother several times. We've seen work obligations. That was Elisha when he had to go and take care of his oxen. We've seen different worship preferences, okay? Some people didn't want to go because they didn't like the style of worship. And we've seen what I'll call a distaste for the itinerant lifestyle, right? This guy just didn't, you know, he wasn't ready to give up his comfy bed and follow Jesus. Now, let's be clear here. None of these excuses are inherently bad, right? They're not anything that we would call sin, but they're all things that, that got in the way. They got in the way of these folks following Jesus, right? So that's, that's why they're problematic. And let's not forget my great excuses, right? My great excuses. When I felt that call of God on my heart, and I was bubbling over with excitement, right? All I could think of was, no, I can't do this. No, I can't do that. No, that stresses me out. No, that takes me out of my comfort zone. No, 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 blah, 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 blah. Right? That's, that's what was in the forefront for me, right? So looking at all of these excuses, all of these excuses causes us to, to really examine ourselves, right? To turn that, that lens to ourselves and think about what excuses we we might be throwing out there that might get in the way of our relationship with Christ. And friends, this is honestly, this is not one of those big jumps that I'm making here today, asking us to look at ourselves. Sometimes we, we look at the people in the Bible and we say, oh, aren't they cute? You know, they're such primitive folks back then. We're so advanced now. No. Excuses were, were a part of their lives then and they're a part of our lives now, every single day. We need to take an honest look at ourselves and, and consider what barriers, right? What barriers we are placing between us and Christ that prevent us from giving ourselves fully to him. Friends, Jesus calls us. He calls each and every one of us each and every day. Even if you're here today, he's going to call you to come back next week. He wants to know us. He wants to love us. He wants to have all of us, body, mind, and soul. Our scriptures, old and new, tell us, they say, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Right? That's, that's all, right? That's all of us. I don't think they left anything out. It's not just 
the part that we want to give him. It's, it's not just the part that isn't doing anything else that day, right? It's not just the parts of us that we want to show him because maybe we're, we're like ashamed of these other parts of ourselves. You know, we're going to kind of keep those ones hidden from the Lord, right? It's all, all of us, right? All of us, body, mind, and soul. Jesus wants to be our number one, right? Our number one. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if we continue just giving a little piece of ourselves to Jesus and we keep making these excuses to hold back the rest, then without a doubt, we're going to end up with a very shallow relationship with our Lord, right? Very shallow. Very, very shallow. I mean, think about it. We all have those people in our lives that maybe we just contact at Christmas, you know, we just send them a Christmas card or maybe we talk to them once or talk to them twice. We all have those kind of people. And those relationships are shallow, right? They're shallow. They're acquaintances for us. So I guess the question becomes, my friends, for all of us to ponder in our hearts. The question becomes, is Jesus your acquaintance? Is he your acquaintance? Or is he your Lord and Savior? You know, which, which is it? Does he have your attention only when there's nothing good on TV? <laughs> or does he have your heart? Right? Does he have your heart? Because I tell you what's going to happen if Jesus remains just your acquaintance, if he's just somebody who you come to visit on Christmas and Easter. Right? Here's the reality of it. Every single one of us here today without exception, without exception, is going to have times in their lives when the bottom drops out, right? Just boom, right? Every one of us. I don't care if you live in Swickley or not, right? This is going to happen to you, right? Boom. The bottom's going to drop out. The job is lost. The marriage crumbles. The child is sick, right? This happens to all of us. And if Jesus is only your acquaintance, well, then, you know, he's not able to be there to pick you up in these times, to be that, to be that one uh, row of footprints in the sand. Remember that old little, you know, it was on like a little card. When did I see those? Why did I see those single footprints, Lord? Well, it was at those times when you carry, that I carried you, right? Jesus won't be there to carry us through those times if, if we just give him like this much of ourselves. That old hymn goes, on this solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. So without that firm, firm relationship in Christ, we will all sink in the sand along with our bag full of excuses. So my friends, I suggest that we learn from this passage in Luke. I suggest we take a one of these lazy, hazy days of summer and really, really evaluate ourselves and our relationship with him, right? What might we be holding back from Christ? And then talk to him about it, right? Pray with him about it and then work on giving all, all of ourselves to him. No more excuses. Praise be to God. Amen.